Where must we go to see God's power manifest in the world? How far are we willing to travel in order to find God's spirit taking hold in this life? When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, he said to Elisha, his protege, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha replied, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. A second time, Elijah said, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But Elijah replied, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not forsake you. A third time, Elijah said to his faithful companion, stay here. For the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha replied yet again, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not abandon you. Elijah knew that the time had come for him to depart this life. Elijah knew it, Elisha knew it, all the prophets knew it. Everyone knew that the day had come for God to take the great prophet from them. In his last act of faithfulness, Elijah traveled from place to place throughout central Israel, going wherever it was that the Lord commanded him to go. Elijah knew that being faithful to God had gotten him safely this far and that by remaining faithful, God would see him through to the end. But for some reason, Elijah didn't want Elisha to go with him. Stay here, he said three times. Why? Maybe it was because Elijah believed that his successor was already called to do the work of a prophet among the cities and villages of Israel, that it would be a waste of time for him to venture out into the wilderness with his predecessor. Or maybe it was because Elijah wasn't fond of tearful goodbyes and he wanted to take his leave of this life all by himself. Or maybe it was because Elijah knew that unlike any human being who had ever lived, he was about to be taken up into heaven in a fiery whirlwind, a whirlwind that would reveal God's power and might, which therefore could not be seen, should not be seen by mere mortals. But Elisha would not listen. As the Lord lives, he vowed. And as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Using a word for leave that carries the force of abandonment. If Elijah knew that being faithful to God meant going wherever it was that God sent him, Elisha knew that for him, being faithful meant staying beside his master until God decided to split them apart. Among God's people, no prophet except Moses had rivaled Elijah in importance. God had given him the Spirit's power to confront Ahab, the wicked king of Israel who had made a career in leading God's people astray. False worship, unholy alliances, inhumane practices, they had defined Ahab's rule, and Elijah alone had stood up to the monarchy and all its pomp and power. Numerous times, 
he got himself in trouble denouncing the king's policies. Elijah needed to flee for his life. And in one of those desperate moments, God came to him and in a whisper told him it was time to anoint a successor, Elisha. So when Elijah found him, the great prophet threw his cloak upon the unsuspecting man's shoulders, literally passing his mantle onto his successor. But neither Elijah nor Elisha knew whether God's spirit could be passed along so easily. Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you, Elijah said to Elisha after they had crossed the Jordan River together. Please, Elisha begged, let me inherit a double share of your spirit. In effect, asking for that double-sized portion of an inheritance that would normally be given to a firstborn son. Elijah, it seems, knew that if he were going to follow in the footsteps of Elijah's greatness, he would need every ounce of the spirit he could find. But God's spirit doesn't change hands as easily as a piece of property or a beloved cloak. You ask a hard thing, the senior prophet replied to the junior's request, acknowledging his own uncertainty of whether the spirit was his to give away in the first place. Yet, Elijah continued, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. And if not, it will not. Elijah recognized that the passing of the Spirit from one prophet to another is the work of God and God alone. If God allowed Elisha to see this holy departure that was about to take place, it would be a sign that God had indeed chosen him to be Elijah's fully empowered successor but if the, the would-be prophet were not worthy of that charge, if he could not bear that mantle on his own, then God would prevent him from seeing his master being lifted up into heaven, a sign that the full power of God's spirit would not rest upon him. Because it was beyond their control, all Elijah could do and Elisha could do was to remain together, Elisha beside his teacher as far as he could go, and then pray and watch. Unfortunately, the lectionary stops our reading from the Old Testament before we get to find out whether that spiritual transfer was complete and successful. In fact, if you go on reading in 2 Kings chapter 2, you'll see that Elisha himself isn't really sure whether it worked until he finds himself back at the River Jordan, walking literally in the footsteps of Elijah. That River Jordan was the boundary between the untamed wilds where God's spirit ran free and the domesticated territory of the king who did his best to suppress that spirit. Elisha wasn't sure whether that spirit would follow him the way it had followed his teacher. But knowing nothing else to do, he took his master's mantle and like Elijah, rolled it up and slapped the water's surface as he proclaimed, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? In a moment of heightened uncertainty buried in the text, 
we aren't really sure whether Elisha needed to strike the water once, as Elijah did, or a second time. Walter Brueggemann notes that that uncertainty leaves us wondering whether he was given as much spiritual power as his predecessor. But in the end, it is enough. The river divides in two. Elijah walks this time alone on dry ground, returning to the jurisdiction of the earthly king and taking with him that power that God had bestowed upon him, the power he would need to confront that king. The kingdoms of this world rely upon clearly defined mechanisms for the transfer of power. Whether it is the death of a monarch, the inauguration of a president, or the surrender of a general, we recognize how authority is passed from one leader to the next. And we know that when the peaceful transfer of power is disrupted or discredited, when the mechanisms that we have established are threatened, our confidence in society can be shaken. And we, of all people, don't like that. But God doesn't work that way. God's spirit cannot be confined to predetermined channels because we don't get to decide when and how God's spirit will show up. Not even Elijah, who was filled with the spirit, got to decide how that spirit would be passed along. We have to wait and watch and see whom it is God pours God's spirit upon. And sometimes the church has a hard time remembering that. In a church like this one, we like to pretend that we are good at defining the ways in which God's spirit will become manifest. In the Episcopal Church, we typically think of the spirit being passed along through the hands of bishops, who themselves were set apart by the hands of other bishops who were set apart by bishops before them. We trust that somehow with the laying on of those Episcopal hands, God sets people apart for the work of ministry. But is that the only way we think God works in our midst? God's spirit and power cannot be confined to authorized prayers and processes because how else will God's spirit ever rise up and challenge those in authority? In other words, how can the untamed power of God confront those in power if only those in power get to decide how God's spirit will show up. Now in this church, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, gifts like prophecy and healing and speaking in tongues, because there aren't many things less Episcopal than speaking in tongues. <laughs> but who are we to tell God how God is supposed to be manifest? Who are we to decide when and how God's spirit will show up? Maybe God is already showing up in powerful ways that we haven't noticed because we haven't been willing to leave our domesticated lives behind and look for those ways out in the wilderness where God's spirit runs free. How far are we willing to go to find the power of God taking hold in this world. 
when our lives are enhanced by the earthly powers at work around us, we are generally content to stay put, to stay here and leave the work of the prophets to someone else. But when we see that the ways of the world are a betrayal of the ways of God, when God opens our eyes and shows us how far we have strayed from the way that God envisions the world could be, how can we afford to stay put? 